Hello, and welcome to the IBCD Karen Discipleship Podcast. Today, I'm excited to talk to a longtime friend of IBCD, Elise Fitzpatrick, who's a prolific author and speaker about what it means to live the Christian life, and especially as one who's motivated and empowered by what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Um, Elise, it would take me probably the rest of the podcast to list all your books. Well, go ahead. That's (laughs) okay. (laughs) Um, So we'll just let people look those up on their own. Um, But it's great to have you with us. Thanks. Thanks so much, Craig. I'm glad to be here. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. First of all, for those who may not know you, um, what do you like to tell people if they wonder who Elise Fitzpatrick is? Yeah. So I'm a grandma and uh, I have six grandchildren and three married children. And my husband, Phil, and I have been married for over 40 years, which proves that there is a God. Mm-hmm. And um, so Phil is an elder at our church in Valley Center. And um, so that's my home life. Vocationally, I am a writer. I was um, I went through biblical counseling training in the mid to late 1980s and uh, became a NANC member, which mm-hmm. is a which is an old timey yeah. <laughs> acronym. Uh, became a member of the biblical counseling movement in about 1989, and uh, out of that came the writing of books. Most of my books really have flowed out of things that I wanted to have in the counseling office. And uh, so as I began to counsel more and wish I had other resources, then that's where they've come from. So I've uh, authored a number of books. And then off of that, of course, comes speaking opportunities. How did you come to know IBCD? Because you have a history with us a little bit that maybe our listeners don't know about. Yes. Well, in about 1985, 1984, something like that, um, I was thinking about getting a degree in psychology because people were coming to me, women in my church were coming to me for help and counsel, and I didn't know how to help them. And so I had talked to my pastor at that time about going and getting a degree in psychology, because that's what I thought you were supposed to do. And I had young kids in the home then, and he said, no, I'd really prefer you not do that. You've got kids in your home right now. Why don't you go down and take training from what was at that point, Christian Counseling Educational Foundation in San Diego? And I was pretty resistant to that. I'll just tell you, I said, you know, I already had a degree. I already had a theology degree. And I basically thought, well, I don't want to pay money and work to get another degree I can't use. Um, but he, he really encouraged me to go down. And then that was my introduction to biblical counseling. And it was kind of a, it was really a, one of those Copernican revolutions in my own thinking. I had already gotten a degree in theology. I was very familiar with scripture, had taught uh, numbers of uh, Sunday school classes and women's groups and things like that, but I never really saw how scripture intersected with our daily life in that way. Um, and so my training at what was then CCEF, which is now IBCD, um, really taught me to think about scripture and how it is sufficient to answer the questions that we have as we try to love God and our neighbor. 
And so was that training, was that under George Scipione? Then? It was. Yeah. It was all under George Scipione. And um, there was, we were in a funny old church down in San Diego. And there was probably five or six of us in the class. And, um, and actually, it was the sort of thing where you had to go once a week, all day Wednesday. And um, so I, I, you know, I farmed my kids out and went down once a week and sat there all day, took the class. And then we did observation and supper seminar, you know, sitting around talking about cases, things like that. So um, yeah, went through all of that, did my uh, observation classes with Skip, with George wow. Scipione. And uh, there were also some classes going on up at Westminster Seminary with Jay Adams. And so we went and took those. Hmm. So everything was uh, done before uh, CCEF became IBCD. Wow. And then did you work for IBCD a little bit? I did. I worked quite a bit for IBCD. I worked for IBCD to begin with as an office manager, uh, administrative assistant, and I really was pushing to have the courses be more convenient for mm. people, not like all day on a Wednesday. So maybe we, maybe we could do stuff on a weekend or maybe a week long kind of a thing. And then people could actually take time out and do it instead of it being like 13 weeks in a row all day Wednesday. So yes, I did. I worked for uh, CCEF slash IBCD for a number of years. First at as an administrative assistant, and then I did counseling. Wow, that's great. And then George is part of your family now. And so yes, on, huh? he is. Yeah. So George's daughter, Ruth, his eldest daughter, Ruth, married our youngest son, Joel. Yeah, so lots of connections there and history. So it's it's really fun. I too have served as an administrative assistant at IBCD. So yes. it's kind of fun. <laughs> yes. And now you're a pastor. Right. And right. I'm a author. So you just everybody should come here and be administrative assistants. And then who knows? It's amazing where it can take you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. It's great. You mentioned a Copernican revolution coming to biblical counseling. Mm -hmm. Have you had other Copernican revolutions in your life, would you Absolutely, say? Absolutely, yes. Well, you know, I didn't come to Christ until um, I, right before my 21st birthday, and I was raised in a very secular home. Um, and so, of course, that was, as it should be, completely life-transforming. And then uh, biblical counseling turned my life around as far as how I thought about scripture and its sufficiency. And then about 10 or 15 years ago, uh, I went through a time where the Lord, I want to say that um, he reopened my eyes to um, the great love of God in Christ and, uh, and the gospel, because I had really never heard the gospel until right before my 21st birthday. And when I heard it, it was marvelous good news. And I was excited and thrilled to find out that, yes, there was in fact a God who loved me and who had forgiven all my sin. But then once I started walking down the road of Christianity, um, that idea of the gospel sort of took a back seat and I became more and more focused on what I was supposed to be doing to get the bus down the road. And um, then when I became involved in biblical counseling, in some ways that made that problem worse 
And I don't mean that as a slam on anybody. It, it's me. It's the way I process things. And the way I processed things at that point was as a legalist, a very strong legalist. And so biblical counseling at that point really played into that. So I wanted very much to have five steps of put off and put on. And that's well and good. And it's in scripture. But what I missed was the whole part about the motivation for it, which is the gospel. So that really transformed me once again um, from being a person who was focused on myself and what I needed to do to be sanctified to Jesus Christ and what he's done in my life to justify me. Was that around the writing of Because He Loves Me? Yes. That ballpark? Yeah. Yes. That's uh, when I had started at IBCD, this guy that I barely knew, Phil, came up and oh, yeah, he gave yeah. me a copy of Because He Loves Me. And <laughs> I know who wrote this. It's really good. You should read it. <laughs> so, so He's it great. cute. Yeah. That was fun. Good. Well, I, I think that's such uh, great stuff to know. And it's neat to hear how the Lord's worked in your life and biblical counseling has been a part of that. And, mm-hmm. and even the the way it can exacerbate weaknesses that mm-hmm. we have and mm-hmm. um, just that continual need to keep growing and understanding mm-hmm. the robustness of our faith. Um, speaking of growing and understanding, we were talking about the Summer Institute that's coming up, and our theme is on addictions. Yes. And as we were talking through what you could speak about, you brought up the topic of screen addictions, or somehow it came up in the conversation. Um, so that's so you're going to be doing a workshop on that for us. Yes. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit with you and just um, just to kind of a teaser of of what to come and hear. But what made you think of that as a topic, um, thinking about screens, devices, and how that could be Um, quote-unquote addictive in our lives? Well, first of all, of course, I look at my own life. (laughs) And uh, I I know that a significant amount of my life is spent uh, tied to a screen in some way or other. Uh, My smartphone, my iPad, my laptop, my television. Um, So, I mean, this is not just about other people and their problems. Uh, I know that it's very hard to completely disengage. Uh, and there's all sorts of reasons that I can think of why I shouldn't. Um, so, so for me personally, I think this is going to be a good thing. And then as I've, uh, watched people, uh, you know, all you have to do is walk into a restaurant and no one's talking to each other. Everybody's sitting there on their cell phones. Um, so that's very troubling to me. It's troubling to me to just see people continually isolated from face-to-face conversation with other people or to think that what they're having is conversation with people when it's in a virtual world. And then, of course, not just that, but then, you know, television. We don't even need to talk about television. We all know um, that it has to be managed. But I think what's going on with cell phones in particular, smartphones, is even more devious than what happens if you happen to want to binge watch something on Netflix. Um, it's as and as I have done research on this to be able to talk about it, there are seven billion three hundred and seventy-seven million cell phone subscriptions in the world. There are 7.5 billion people in the world. Wow. 
Yeah, right? So it's practically the same for almost, and I'm sure it will be by the end of the year. <laughs> so for um, as many people as there are in the world, there are cell phone subscriptions. Now, obviously, some people don't have cell phones, but other people have multiple cell phones. And um, so is it an issue that affects everybody? Well, you know, when you're going to talk about addictions, um, not, not everybody struggles with, you know, substance abuse or anger or whatever. Pretty much everybody's got a cell phone and, and a, a smartphone in particular. And to try to manage that thing that has become basically an appendage. Um, I think about this, Craig. 23 years ago, there were no cell phones. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> so 23 years ago, there were no cell phone subscriptions. And now there's almost one for every person on the planet. That, that's, a, that's shocking. And, you know, a lot of people are stepping back and saying, is this a good thing? Uh, what are we doing? What are we? I, I know that my grandchildren go to a public school that touts itself as being an Apple school. And what that means is all the kids have iPads and none of them carry any textbooks, textbooks and they do their work on their iPad. Well, that's going to be an entirely different way of processing information from not just my generation, which, you know, is old, but even your generation mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for your kids to grow up in a completely digitized world. Yeah. Um, and, and in some ways, the, the mode of communication shapes communication. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, I know that as a writer, I have to be able to write very, very succinctly. So now I may enjoy reading Les Miserables, but, you know, nobody's going to read 50 pages of descriptions anymore because we have been trained in part through a digitized world that brings us information uh, very quickly and not just not just quickly, but nonstop, um, not to do a lot of deep thinking or you know illustration or anything like that. So I think it's it's going to it's going to change the way we communicate. I have found personally, I used to use my phone as my Bible in church, and um, I found that I have to stop doing that, really for a couple of reasons. First of all, just quickly because. Um, if I'm on my phone reading the scripture and somebody texts me, I'm already mad. I'm automatically, um, distracted or, um, there's something that happens in your brain and, and this has to do with our ability to multitask. Um, the brain is able to multitask, but the stuff that we're doing when, when we're multitasking doesn't get into our long-term long memory. So you can read an article that, you know, you can jump to other pictures and all of that. Um, or you can read an article on a printed page where you're not distracted and you're going to remember that article on the printed page better than you are on the digital device, whatever it might be. So, and then of course, there's just our natural gravity or 
Then, of course, there is the, the natural way that we gravitate towards things that addict us. We are all of us addicts by nature. And so if we find something we like, we tend to not just like it a little. So, um, it, it, you know, it's, it's just important for us to say, well, how do we, how do we handle that? You should, th- this is another interesting statistic. There are 2.7 million blogs published a day. My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so how important is your blog? Right. <laughs> oh, man. So, you know, isn't that interesting? Yeah. 2.7 million blogs published per day. So people have all this stuff they want to say, but they're not really sitting down saying it to anybody. They're sort of just throwing it out uh, to the world. And then we all sort of look into it without actually being engaged. And I've been told as a person who blogs not very often, but if you if you don't say something within the first 30 seconds of that blog, you've lost your person. Mm-hmm. So nobody's going to sit down and read Les Mis. Right. Incredible shifts in technology, rapid changes that have huge implications as you're bringing out. And so stopping to think through how do we think through this as Christians sounds like a really necessary um, endeavor. It's it's not just Christians who are thinking about this. The the secular realm is studying this, looking into it, right? You're probably mm-hmm. looking into that. What So one of the things that I've appreciated about your writings and approach to things is that the answer has to be more than simply stop, stop it. it or break your phone, <laughs> throw yeah, out your phone, yeah, yeah. Um, which, which I, I appreciate. Let's think in a nuanced way through how we can use these in a way that's beneficial to us as believers. What are some things that you find helpful as you're seeking to navigate this in your own life that you think will be helpful for us as we look to our own lives and then also helping other people think about these things? I think that one of the things that we want to do, first of all, you know, we don't want to throw the ba- baby out with the bathwater. Uh, the ability to communicate is marvelous. So we want to do that. But I think that the problem as far as a social media, as far as wanting to be in, in contact with people all the time, find out what's going on all the time, all of that business, I think that has to do with identity. So if I am not trying to find an identity outside of myself and what Christ has done for me, then the lure of that world out there that I'm going to be able to post something on and have people think something of me, that's not going to be quite as strong. I don't, I don't want to say we're, we need to throw them away. I mean, that's ridiculous. Nobody's going to do it anyway. And they are, they're left-hand kingdom um, instruments, right? They're neither good nor bad. So we want to learn to use them, but the way that we can do that is by first saying, all right, am I willing, at least for a certain part of every day, to just put it aside? Am I purposefully taking time to try to have deep thoughts? And, and connectivity militates against depth of thought. And why would I do that? Well, I want to do that because... Jesus Christ is that wonderful. And if I'm not actually stopping and thinking about what he's done for me and how that has impacted my life, I'm just never going to get there. And uh, all it's going to be about is, you know, how many people are following me on Twitter. So it has to find the only motivation that can break this desire to be 
known but not really and to know but not really is to know that I am known and then to know him. Good to be thinking through what is it that that drives us to this insatiable desire to to be there all the time. It's interesting. We're going through first Thessalonians in, in um, our sermon series. And it's fascinating to hear how much Paul longs to be present with the Thessalonians. Yeah. He's, he's longing that he could be there personally yeah. and just kind of asking the question, if Paul had Snapchat, Instagram, like, would he have written differently? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but just that value of embodied presence together, how yes. that's a key part of Christian life, but life also, as a sanctifying influence too. And sometimes the social media sphere that we can find ourselves in, while there are lots of sanctifying components about that as well, (laughs) (laughs) um, it also leaves us devoid of others that the friction of being in each other's presence brings about. And so just stopping and thinking about these things, it seems like is such a first step, stopping, thinking, examining our own hearts. Yes. Yeah. And you know, the thing about being uh, connected virtually is if I don't like something you're saying, mm-hmm. or I, I, I might have to think about what it means, then I can just click on something else. But if I'm actually sitting with you and trying to um, learn or understand, um, exchange ideas, that doesn't happen virtually. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how it would. It's far more of a discipline, isn't it? To yes. have to, you know, yes. really stop and engage with that argument and not just click to another one or yeah. not just ramp back right yeah. away. Yeah. But boy, face to face, uh, if you just go off or just walk away every time someone offends right. you, right. it's a whole right. different ballgame. Right. Yeah. All these issues that this, this digital existence raises. So I'm so glad you're going to be talking about this at the Summer Institute. Um, looking forward to that workshop that you'll be offering. We've got some great speakers coming. Uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you about while you're here is you've been telling me for years that I need to invite a particular speaker, um, the pastor Chris Moles, uh, who's going to be coming and doing our pre-conference. Why did I need to invite Chris Moles? Well, aside from being one of my favorite people on the planet, uh, Chris is a guy who is engaged in a certain kind of ministry where he is working with the sheriff's department in his city to try to help uh, people who are abusers. And I don't know anybody who's doing that. And the way he does it, uh, both in the gospel, but also being strong enough for to say what needs to be said to some of these people, um, I think you're going to find him a very big help. I think particularly pastors who have uh, wives who are coming into their office and saying, my husband is abusing me or he's threatening me. Um, how are how is an how is a pastor supposed to answer that? Chris is going to have that answer, and he's really good at it. And he, I, I love that he can answer not only my husband has hit me, but also my husband's emotionally abusing me, yes, which I, I yes. just find pastorally we can also often just find ourselves stammering for okay, well, what even is that? How do how would we go about dealing with that? Yes, when yes. he's one of the nicest guys in our church, you know, right? That type of situation, right? right. 
Yes, you won't be sorry if you come in here. <laughs> well, Elise, it's been great to have you with us. We're looking forward to seeing you in June. Um, hope to see many of you at the Summer Institute. Thanks for tuning in and listening, and we look forward to being with you next time. <laughs>